welcome. You are listening to Zeal Fear House. I am your host, David Murray, and I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers. Her focus here is on our relationship with our Heavenly Dad and all aspects of His kingdom, moving in greater intimacy with Him. Additional teachings, books, and articles may be found on my website at www.dwmurray.com. That's dwmurry.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and let's get rolling with this week's broadcast. Well, thank you for joining us again. This is Blog Talk Radio, Dorothy Carruthers, and uh, I'm joined with Dorothy, and this is David Murray, Zeal for Your House. Dorothy, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing very well. I'm very blessed. How are you doing? I'm good. Well, we got a chance to talk and to catch up before we got on air, and you fired me up about some things. So I'm looking forward to to jumping into this topic. Uh, Guys, we're going to be talking about the manifest presence of God and relationships, how this all ties in. We're, this is going to be concluding our series on relationships, uh, godliness, and we'll be ending with the manifest presence of God, uh, what that means, what that looks like, and how this is meant to be something every single born-again believer is meant to walk in, experience, and enjoy the fruit of it in relationships with others. So we're going to be kind of culminating with this. Uh, we're going to keep this <laughs> we're going to keep this rather short and uh, to the point, I, I'm going to be giving you guys some scriptures to chew on, some things to think on. It's going to be challenging in some ways, but with all things, it's meant to point all of us, myself at the top of that list, to deeper intimacy with the Lord. So we're going to get into it. What is the first couple things we're going to cover? What is the kingdom of God? How does this reply to, uh, apply to relationships? What is the kingdom of God? How it applies to relationships? And then finally, application. Uh, more and more, I'm going to be offering examples and application because if we don't know how to apply things or we don't practice the application, then things remain theology. Theology is meant to be our standard of beliefs in which we exercise those beliefs in action, in relationship. We have a relationship with the Lord. We have a relationship with the church. We have a relationship with the lost. We have a relationship with the demonic realm. Uh, We hate the demonic realm. That's the nature of our relationship. Satan, uh, hate him. (laughs) God, we love him. Every single thing has a relationship and has a dynamic. Theology is meant to determine how we relate to one another and to ourselves and to ultimately our creator. So if we are not applying the things we claim to believe, then that theology, that faith, that belief, right, James uh, chapter 2 says that faith is, is dead. It's useless to us. It has no effect. So application is going to be the third part. So let's start with the first part. We're going to begin with this scripture verse, Colossians 1.13. For he, meaning Christ, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. 
How we choose to relate to one another, guys, is based upon one of two kingdoms. It's based either upon the dominion of darkness, which is Satan's kingdom, or it's based on the kingdom of the son he loves. That's our heavenly father's kingdom. How we choose to relate to one another is based upon either relating to each other from either Satan's kingdom or God's kingdom. Every kingdom has a system of government. Every kingdom has laws and rules and a nature attached to it. So what we're going to look at is what is the kingdom of our Heavenly Father. Here's something that's important to understand, guys. The kingdom of God is not the same as heaven. Okay, I'm going to explain all this. The kingdom of God is not heaven. Right? The Greek word for heaven is oranos. And the definition, the Greek definition when heaven is used, it is the visible heavens, the atmosphere, the sky, the starry heavens, the spiritual heavens. Okay? It's a spiritual heaven. It's a place. The, the word used to describe heaven, where God's throne room is, when the, when the prophets and the scriptures refer to a, 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 an actual spiritual realm, a spiritual existence in which Jesus sits upon the throne, in which Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father, in which the angels worship and bow down, is a location. That is heaven. Now, Strong's word for Basalia means kingship, sovereignty, rule, authority, and it is the Greek word for kingdom. Okay? Heaven is a place. The kingdom is rulership. Heaven is a place. The kingdom is rulership. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, what it is is his kingdom, it is his manifestation, it is his presence, it is his rulership, it is his authority, it is where he stands and presides. We're going to get into scriptures to, to round this out. The reason why this is so important is because there is a difference between a physical place I say physical, I mean uh, a tangible reality. I mean, heaven is a spiritual place, right? So um, what I really should say, it's a spiritual reality. Uh, just as real, it's more real than this. There are, there are tables, desks, mansions, thrones, um, paved uh, streets. There are flowers, trees. It's, it is a location. It is a place. But when the scriptures talk about the kingdom of God, it's talking about the manifestation of his rulership. And we're going to get into, well, what is the point of all this? Well, we're going to get into that. Because if, to the degree that we do understand what the kingdom of God is and the difference between that and heaven itself is, is to the degree that we carry that spiritual reality in relationships with others and with ourselves. It's actually vital to our walk because everything we do is based upon relationships. Everything. Okay. Matthew chapter 6 says, 
Uh, our Father who is in heaven, let your name be sanctified. Well, you know what? Let's start. This is what most people refer to as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. I'm actually going to read to you the closest Greek translation of how that actually reads. The rendering is much different. Let's put a Matthew chapter 6. Okay, and when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to be standing in the synagogues and the market corners. Okay, let's go to verse 8, Matthew 6, verse 8. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the way we typically have it memorized. I'm going to read to you how this reads in the Greek. Our Father in the heavens, right, location. Our Father in the heavens. Let your name be sanctified or be holy. Let your kingdom come. Let your will take place as in heaven, also on earth. Understanding what is Jesus accurately saying is vital to our relationship with the Lord and relationship with other, other people. Our Father who is in the heavens, let your name be sanctified. Let your kingdom come. Remember, that word for kingdom is not the same word as heaven. It's the word basalia. It means kingship, sovereignty, authority, rule, kingdom. Let your sovereignty, your authority, your rule come. It's not saying to bring heaven down to earth. That's where other religions have gotten off, right? And they, they mix scriptures and they mix topics. What Jesus is saying, we're to pray, Father who is in heaven, let your rule head, your ruleship, your authority come. And let your will take place as your will is in heaven. Again, that word, the, the Greek word heaven, oranos, physical place, spiritual location. Let your will that is in heaven take place also on earth. Moving on to uh, Matthew twelve twenty eight. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, this is when the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of, of being demon-possessed and actually being an you know, instrument of Satan. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come to you. Now, we know that Jesus drove out those demons. Did heaven, the spiritual reality of those thrones, of those streets of gold, of those trees, flowers, of the uh, houses and homes where the saints have gone on before us, did that come and surround those people right there? Did heaven come to the earth? You know, no, it did not. Right? When Jesus says, then the kingdom of God has come to you, it's talking about the rulership, the reign of God. That's Matthew twelve twenty eight. Mark ten fifteen says, receive the kingdom of God like a little child. Again, receive the headship, the authority, the rulership of God as a little child. So in short, guys, the kingdom of God is the manifest presence of God. 
Remember, every rule, every law, um, every sign of authority is based upon the nature of the king. Every rule that is passed down, every law governing a land, every spiritual law that governs God's kingdom is based upon his nature. So when we're talking about bringing or receiving the kingdom of God, we're talking about understanding that with the spiritual authority of God being brought into an atmosphere, the very nature and presence of God is being brought with it. Now, I'm not talking about legalism. Legalism is not the spiritual atmosphere of God's presence. Now, I can quote a scripture and I can judge someone and quote a verse, thou you shall not steal. I'm not bringing the kingdom. Right? I have not bring the kingdom. The manifest presence of God is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said to receive the kingdom of God. Jesus says if I drive out demons, that is a manifestation of power, that is an expression of the kingdom, then the kingdom has come upon you. So what we're talking about is not legalism. We're talking about the reality of the manifest presence of God. Examples of this, guys, are found all throughout the Old Testament. They're examples of the manifest presence of God coming into our midst. Right? We have Genesis 32, Jacob's Ladder, where Jacob met Jesus and wrestled with, with Jesus. He said, surely this is a place of heaven. He saw angels coming up and down, uh, transporting from earth to heaven back and forth. Open doorway, an open gateway, a portal. Okay? Christians don't like the word portal. Sorry, it's in the Bible first. New Age just stole it from us. Right? This is a doorway that gave access of earth and heaven to interact. First uh, Samuel 4.19. Boy, that's a great one. You know what, guys? We're going to camp on that one. We're going to go with that. First Samuel 4.19. For those of you that don't know, um, the backbone of my walk with God, my formative years, and where the Lord really rooted out and changed things and, and formed my understanding of him and, and confirmed who I am before him. And, and um, all, a lot of it is, is formed upon understanding the life of, of Samuel, the life of Saul, the life of David, the life of, uh, the, life of the, the, the sons of David. Um, so these things are really near and dear to me. Um, anyway, First Samuel 19 and let's get context here. David is being David goes from being in a place of honor. He's anointed king uh, at a young age as a boy. Time grows up, he becomes a commander in King Saul's army. Saul refuses to trust the Lord, and as a result, the atmosphere around Saul begins to darken. It begins to come tainted. He's no longer walking in covenant with the Lord. And because of that, sin entered into Saul's heart, sin entered into around him, and because the atmosphere in and around Saul was not committed to God, it allowed demonic forces to inhabit the spiritual atmosphere around where Saul lived. That's why the scriptures say a troubling spirit tormented Saul, because the atmosphere around Saul was polluted by his sin. 
Saul was placed with the atmosphere of heaven around him. If you study the consecration, the anointing, the setting apart of Saul for kingship, he was given the spiritual atmosphere of heaven. And when he began tainting that because of rebellion and sin, which if we read his life, was came from fear of man. The fear of man will always cause us to compromise uh, the atmosphere around us. It, it uh, compromises the reality of what we can have in him when we trust in him. And anyway, so Saul is at this point now where he's being tormented constantly. He recognizes that David's the real deal, that David will never compromise. He sees that, and it really bothers him. And uh, so Saul sends out men to go hunt David down. And we're going to skip a little bit. So in chapter 19, we're going to go to verse 18. So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Meaning Saul was chasing after him, trying to kill him several times already. He and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. Now it was told Saul, saying, take note, David is at Naoth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. So what happened here, guys? You have a company of prophets with Samuel that is listed as they saw him standing as leader over them. So how exactly would you see someone standing as leader over them? There was something in that physical encounter where they were able to recognize one man was leading another group of prophets. There was, a, a, there was an action going on in which they were, able to be able, they were able to see with their physical eyes something taking place. And when these men of Saul came with intent to arrest David, to take him to his execution, they came into the atmosphere of God and they began prophesying just like the prophets. Because when Saul was told, he sent other messengers and they prophesied likewise. So what happened? The next group also came into the presence, the atmosphere of heaven. And they did the same thing. Because the atmosphere of God, the nature of God, came upon them. And when we come into the nature and presence of God, we're conformed into his likeness. What we do when we leave is up to us. Right? And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. So three companies of men came and submitted under, forcefully under, the holiness of God's manifest presence. Verse 22 then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Seku. So he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed, they are at Naoth and Ramah. So he went there at Naoth and Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also, and he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all day and all night. Therefore they say, is Saul also among the prophets? I've heard a lot of weird, kooky teachings about this. The bottom line is Saul demonstrated a manifestation of humility and demonstrated a manifestation in which a famous expression began being said in Israel, is Saul also among the prophets of God? 
Why? Because Saul and his twisted heart came into the manifest presence of God, and it changed him. Now, we know reading on that as he left that, he didn't allow it to change his heart. He didn't allow it to stay. There's other examples in first, uh, I don't know, we'll leave it with that. Uh, yeah, we'll leave it with that. That's, those, if you look up that, look up uh, Jacob's Ladder, these are demonstrations in which people came under the presence of God. That's Old Covenant, guys. Okay? That is Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, in, I should say the, old, the Mosaic Covenant, there were several Old Covenants. There were, there were seven of them, actually. Under the Mosaic Covenant that, we're, that this is taking place in, God was not required to give us his spirit. There's a difference between the faithfulness of God and the mercifulness of God. When the Spirit of God would come upon a person, it was mercifulness because it was not required in the covenant. The covenant is a contract. Under the Mosaic Covenant, God did not say, I will give you my Spirit to live inside of you. So when he would choose to have his Spirit come upon or within someone, it was an act of mercy to fulfill his plans. It was not a requirement. In the new covenant, guys, we are promised the Holy Spirit. He is faithful to give us what he promised when we receive him as Savior. Old covenant was an act of mercy. New covenant is an act of faithfulness. God will never violate his promise. That's why the new covenant is better than all the other covenants the scriptures say. Because in this new covenant, God doesn't move just by mercy. He moves by a promise. He moves by faithfulness to the covenant that said, I will put inside of you my spirit and it will transform your thinking and your heart and all your being. I will write my very nature in your innermost being. 1 John 2.27. I'm going to read that. I don't want to paraphrase it because it's the crux of what we're talking about. 2.27. These things, are, this is John, uh, the Apostle John, talking to an assembly of believers uh, toward the end of his life, encouraging them before he's taken to the island of Patmos. Pretty much all of the apostles are, uh, have been martyr- martyred at this point, laying down their lives to share the good news and seeing thousands of people come and accept Christ. John's one of the last ones. He's saying, I write these things I have written to you concerning those who tried to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. Read that again. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. In the eyes, the Holy Spirit does not come and go from within our spirit, man. He abides in us. Ephesians 1.14 makes that clear, right? We're given the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Um, That's the main crux of the Old and New Covenant, is that we have to understand the Holy Spirit is inside of us. It's also cross-referenced 2 Corinthians 1.22. 
1 Corinthians 2.16. They all say the same thing. We were given the Holy Spirit as a promise guaranteeing our citizenship that will take place in the spiritual location we call heaven. One day we will go to heaven. Right now, the manifest presence of God, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, lives in us. One day we'll go to heaven, but his kingdom lives in us now. The manifest presence of God is inside of us now. So how does this apply to relationships? What does it mean when we say to bring the kingdom? We have some of the, my closest brothers and sisters that that I'm blessed to fellowship with um, and that we've grown with in the past several years, right? We have an expression that we've gotten from other people and that, that, that we encourage one of ourselves with. It's called bring the kingdom. Bring the kingdom. Wherever we go, the kingdom is inside of us. It's up to us whether or not we will release what is in us or we will release the kingdom of Satan. Well, how do we do that? How do we release one or the other? What's important to understand is that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, lives inside our spirit man. But our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, acts as the gatekeeper. We either choose to live by God's rules and laws and his love and his nature or we live our lives governed by the fear and the torment and the insecurity and the fear of rejection, the fear of man, the fear of shame, the fear of condemnation, the fear of punishment, the fear of judgment. These are all things that are based upon Satan's kingdom. The scriptures say perfect love casts out all fear. When God speaks to me, guys, let's put this in balance. When God speaks to me and he says, David, I'm going to begin to judge an error of your life, do you know what my response is? Yes, Lord. Go for it. Because the word judgment means to separate, to discern, to decide. He is separating things in my life that separate me from experiencing deeper realms of his love. So when the Lord says, David, there's something in your life I want you to look at, I can either say, yes, Lord, sounds great, or I can kind of put it off, put it off, put it off. And eventually, if I do that, he will say to me, David, I love you. I say, yeah, Lord, I love you too. Yeah, I'm going to begin pronouncing judgment upon your heart. And I say, yes, Lord, well, sorry, (laughs) sorry, sorry, but yes, go for it, because I know you are love, I know you are holy, I know you are good, set me free from this, let's do this, let's go deeper, and his hand begins to move sovereignly in my life to take the wine press of the areas that I'm struggling with and remove them from me. And at the other end of it, I come into a deeper realm of walking in the reality of the kingdom of heaven, which already lives inside of me, than I did before that trial or judgment. Judgment is not something to fear. The only ones that fear judgment, guys, are the lost. Because when God burns up sin, 
If we have not accepted Christ, we burn up with sin. There is no atonement. There's no separation. The sin is still covered upon us. But for those of us in the body of Christ that are so afraid of God's hand being on us, we simply are not being taught what judgment means. We have not been taught there are different judgments in the Bible. There's different eras or ages or time frames. There are different judgments. The white throne judgment of the non-believer is not the same as the great throne judgment of the, of the believers. The reward seat of Christ is not the same as the great white throne. But the reality is, guys, and I say this, we don't want to hear all the things that bring comfort. We want to hear the things that are fearful many times because we say, if I'm afraid, I will, I will out of fear do the right thing, and then God will be pleased with me. Then I'll, I'll have, I can mark off a check mark, a rule, and now I know that my Heavenly Father accepts me. Guys, that is the kingdom of Satan. That is a demonic lie wrapped around our thinking. Here's the awesome part, guys. The kingdom of heaven right now is within you, churning violently like a whirlwind. No matter what lies we believe, the fears, the anxiety, the stress, the insecurity, all, no matter what our soul is in bondage to, our spirit man is free. Our spirit is free and is communing with the Holy Spirit second by second. It's an unending union. And God is just asking us to let it into our soul. Our soul is not to be on the throne. Our soul is meant to receive the truth of the kingdom, the nature of the kingdom, the manifestation of God's nature is meant to flow from our spirit man down into our soul, into our thinking, and ultimately our body walks out in obedience to what our soul says what to do, which is receiving the love and the fruits and the joy and the peace from our spirit man. So the first thing we do, how this applies to relationships, begin looking at how do we relate to one another. Forget the lost. How do we relate to our brothers and sisters that are the redeemed? Why are we judging so much? Why do we hold with so... You, do, you, guys, do you know in the first century, when the, when the apostles got together and they had converted thousands of these open, demonic, pagan, demon worshipers, all they said is, listen, listen, do, do, the body of Christ is a mess. Welcome to the new covenant. We've been redeemed. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We don't know what we're doing. The Bible was not written, guys. It didn't have the, the, the entire Old and New Testament. It was not put together until well into the third century. All they had was the living, manifest presence of the kingdom of God inside of them. That was all they needed. They didn't need rules to justify their walk with God. They had God in them, and the manifestation of that reality, they allowed it to conform their thinking. And that's when they wrote, they said, listen, look at all these questions. Just tell them, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. Just, that'll, just keep their conscience clear. Just You want to boil all this down? For now, just tell them, if they, sacrifice to, if they go into a marketplace and they know that this has been sacrificed to Satan, just, yeah, it's going to seal your conscience. Just, just stay away from it. That was it. 
guys, we want to break fellowship if we don't like the way someone presents the teaching. Forget the scriptures. We don't even study the scriptures. We don't even practice what the Bereans did. They said they, they were a more noble report because they, they diligently seek the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. They didn't study just what Paul was saying alone. They didn't look at his manner of delivery. They searched the word of God. We, don't, we just judge someone if we don't like the way they dress, if we don't like the manner in which they speak, if, if they've got some pride. Uh, if they have areas where they're not completely sanctified, which welcome to the new covenant. As none of us have arrived yet, we want to break fellowship. Guys, that friendship, if you want to call it that, that relationship, it's coming from a demonic mindset. That is not the manifest presence of God flowing in and through us. And here's the cool thing. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He loves us and forgives us and walks with us unconditionally. How we choose to live is our choice. We can either manifest the kingdom of God and let the kingdom of God come upon the people we come in contact with, or we can let the demonic kingdom manifest. It manifests in fear. It doesn't have to be witches and witchcraft and demons lurking behind every, every colored stone. Or uh, Sorry. Those are the obvious things. We like to talk about witches in the pews and witches and where we don't. We walk in witchcraft every day in our thinking. If it's not the kingdom of God, it's the kingdom of Satan. There is no neutral zone. This isn't Star Trek. It's one or the other. And if we are not walking in the, in the reality of what God's word says we are, if we're not moving by the peace and the power of God, love flowing through us, our soul is in need of surgery. Our soul is in need of, of grabbing a hold of the hem of God, God's garment and saying, Lord, give me a revelation of your love. We don't need a revelation of more judgments, guys. That's all we're quoting these days. That and just whatever tickling doctrines we want to hear. And while we're hearing all these things, we're being fed on spiritual junk food. We don't have love. We don't have compassion. We don't have unconditional acceptance. The scriptures say there is a friend that will love and be more loyal than a brother. And we're experiencing that right now to our shame. We're meant to have the love of Christ. And for many of us, the lost are better friends than the body of Christ is to one another. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. And there's no condemnation. It just means that we just got to go back before the Lord and ask him, Lord, how, how can I allow the kingdom of God, which is inside of me, flow through my thinking? Examine your relationships or lack of relationships. What are they rooted? What are they grounded? How much fear, anxiety, unrest, strife, tension, contention, lack of trust? We can just rest with one another. We don't have to agree with everything. Guys, some of the, like, 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 some of the people that I'm very blessed to, to minister with and to be in their lives, we don't agree. We openly do not agree on all the same things. And we discuss it in love and we agree to disagree and then we pray together and we exalt Christ. We pray into each other's lives. We bless each other. 
We speak life into each other. We speak according to the will of the Father in heaven. We bring the kingdom with our confession. We bring the kingdom from within us, where Jesus says rivers of life will flow from within you. It must pass through the soul. The soul is the, the dam, the canal, that we have to open the locks to let that water flow, to let those rivers flow out of us. The body of Christ needs to repent of being so fickle, pleasing God by breaking fellowships, by breaking communion. We need each other. The body of Christ needs to work with each other. And it starts with relationships. It starts with friendships. So I ask us all, myself included, to continue down without fear. What is governing me? What will happen if I continue to be a friend with someone? Will that person steal my salvation? They believe in post-trib. I believe in pre-trib. They're going to steal your soul? Really, I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, guys, but really. Paul and Peter didn't agree upon everything. Paul had to correct Peter. By today's standards, Peter would have been considered and called a false apostle. Because in Galatians 2, it says Peter, Paul says, I had to correct Peter face to face because out of fear of man, he started to shy away from some of the truth of the gospel. He had to be corrected. We don't share in love. We just break fellowship or we just are fearful or anxious because we don't understand the kingdom of God is within us. We draw inward to our spirit man. We draw inward to the earth. And what will happen, guys, is we start to do that, as we start to say, okay, what, is, what am I dealing with? What is this fear, this anxiety? Trace that back to what you're believing. Do we really think God's going to drop his spiritual hammer on us? Well, then you've got to get into the new covenant. Look at the earth ministry of Jesus, which the scriptures say was to show the nature of the Father. Look at how Jesus treated others. He died while we were yet sinners, steeped in sin for hell. What are we so afraid of? And then we take that fear and we say, Lord, I thank you that you love me unconditionally. And we may have to stop there. We may not believe that. We may not believe he unconditionally loves us. And so we've got to start reading Colossians 1, 21 and 22, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Ephesians 1, 4, 2 Corinthians 5.21. We need to start understanding our identity in Christ and begin applying it. So when the fear and the anxiety and the insecurity when we get around other people comes up, we start drawing upon, but God, who am I? I am sealed in the Holy Spirit. I'm the redeemed. I'm a child of the one who roars from heaven on our behalf. And we've been seated past tense in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is who we are. We're not to be afraid of anything. And if we are, it's time to take those thoughts captive, which is the application of 2 Corinthians 10.5. So let's break it down, guys. All with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. The manifest presence of God will increase within us 
and will flow out of us the more we contemplate the Lord's glory. It comes from the Lord who is spirit, lives inside of us, and as we continue to behold who he is and behold who he says we are, will be transformed and we will manifest greater spiritual demonstrations of his glory. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. So what this is, guys, breaking it down, it means to meditate, then we must apply it to our own walk. James 1.22 says we must be a doer of the word, and James 2.14 says that faith without works, without application, is dead. So praise God. There's no condemnation in any of this. Is it a challenging word? Yeah. Well, everything I teach on is a challenge, guys. If it wasn't, then it wouldn't be a teaching. Right? Everything of the kingdom is meant to exhort us and motivate us to change, to, to enter into what we've been redeemed for. We have been redeemed for intimacy. We want to see how intimate we are with the Lord. We look at our relationships. If we do not have relationships that reflect the earth ministry of Jesus Christ, to say we have intimacy with the Lord, uh, we need to examine that. Because everything we have in other relationships is an outflow of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an outflow. We don't have intimacy and truth and the power of God if we're not able to manifest his presence around us to others then we need to look at what kind of relationship do I have with Jesus? What do I allow him to speak to us about? Because he'll only speak to us on things we allow him to, to speak to us on. Otherwise, we just ignore him. That's why in Revelations 2, he says to the church, the born-again believers, I stand at the door and knock. He's standing at the door, knocking in our heart, saying, there's something I want to talk to you about. Will you let me into this area of your heart? And praise God, it's awesome, guys. It's awesome. The foundations turn from fear to the bedrock of love. It gets easier and easier. It does not get harder. But we have to start the step. We have to begin the process. So that concludes our studies on relationships, manifest presence of God, and how we are destined to allow the kingdom of God, which lives inside of us, to manifest from within us, out around us. And um, it's a beautiful thing. So anyway, Dorothy, uh, any, any comments before we close out for tonight? That was an excellent description of the difference between heaven and the kingdom. And I think that also addresses questions that some have about uh, dominionism and you know, delineating that from how we're supposed to be affecting the culture around us. Because some people think, it well, if you're going to try and affect the culture around you, that's dominionism and that's false teaching. So that's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great point, um, Dorothy. And we'll touch on that real quick. Every truth, guys, has a lie. That's just the nature. There's no counterfeit $3 bills. Uh, there's no counterfeit 75 cent coins, right? It, it just, it does everything of the kingdom is counterfeited. Everything of Jesus' earth walk is counterfeited. We don't stop walking like Jesus or desire or seek to walk like Jesus because of the counterfeit, because of the angel of light. 
Um, and dominionism, even that, by definition, I, 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 when I, that comes up fairly often um, when I'm talking with other people. And so I've learned to ask, what does dominionism mean to you? And I make uh, the other person really digest back to me what they believe that is. And a lot of times we just, what we describe is, is Jesus on the earth. Um, every single truth will have a counterfeit. Every single one. Um, but there are many, many Christians beginning with the first century apostles and church that looked, their walk looked a lot like Jesus and that was never meant to diminish. The covenant has not changed. And there's a difference between recognizing and understanding the manifest presence of God is inside of you, and we are meant to be the light and the salt. We are meant to preach the gospel with signs following. Uh, and these signs shall follow them that believe. They'll lay hands on the sick, raise the dead, cast out lepers, uh, excuse me, heal the lepers, uh, cast out demons. The only one cast out lepers is not a lot of love in that. Uh, and these are signs that will follow. It's the goodness of God. So, um, yeah, if we're going to talk about dominionism, we need to really look at, study it, and say, what is the definition these people are saying, and recognize, uh, recognize what that means and it doesn't mean. The scriptures say what we are, and we just stick to the scripture, and we don't worry about labels one way or another. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway, thank you, Dorothy, for that feedback. So no label makers? No, no label makers. I was going to give examples. I thought, well, what's the point? You know, I think all these things that can be called really have. And it's just, who cares? You know, if, 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 you know, when someone says, you know, are you this or you believe in that or are you, are you a X, Y, Z, I've learned to say, do you have a scripture you want to discuss? And that settles everything, guys. Is there, is there a text of scripture you'd like to discuss in context uh, with two or three other scriptures being taken in context and how this applies to our walk and our intimacy with the Lord, I absolutely will talk about it all day. Come on into my house. I, I love Jehovah's Witnesses coming to my door. You know, in the 70s, we got this ungodly teaching, never let a Jehovah's Witness in your door, in your house. Uh, oh, my gosh. How are you going to get them saved if you don't invite them in? Well, you keep them at the front door. You don't want to let that stuff in. Uh, no, there's, you're not going to find that in the New Covenant. Uh, you're not going to find that in Paul's earth walk, who is nowhere near Jesus. And I love bringing Jehovah's Witnesses in. Give them a meal, talk to them, and a lot of times I get them saved. And that's, that's the way the kingdom works. That's the manifest presence of God moving upon someone. You know, we have to stop being afraid and start recognizing the kingdom of God is in us. The demons are afraid of us knowing our identity. They love to pick on people that don't know their identity. They don't like to bother with people that understand where the righteousness of Christ and the kingdom of heaven is in me and it's flowing out through my soul and my body is going to lift up holy hands unto the Lord and will lay hands upon the sick and will declare what the Father is doing in heaven on earth. Humans don't like messing with those people. So, Praise God, that's, that's that. I don't know how long it was. It wasn't, uh, wasn't a half hour, but as one of, my, uh, one of my professors used to say in Bible school, it's good anyway. I don't know why I said that, but it's good anyway. 
So anyway, Dorothy, you have a wonderful evening. Body of Christ, brothers and sisters, more than you know, I love you. More than you know, the only one who truly matters, your Lord and Savior, your Heavenly Father, Spirit of the living God, loves you without condition. We need to be bold enough and brave enough to push past fears and accept that reality for ourselves. So God bless you all. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. And I will catch up with all of you soon. God bless and have a great night. Dorothy, good night. Good night, David. Father bless. Father bless. Fear House. I'm David Murray, and I'm joined with Dorothy by this week's broadcast. Again, if this was your first time, please stop by my website at www.dwmurray.com. That's D-W-M-U-R-R-Y.com for additional teachings and insights. God bless you, and until next time, please dare to accept the fact that your Heavenly Dad loves you deeply.